for our Canadian lifters. Pure passion, real results, what you put in your body should matter. Pure Vita Labs PVL supplements are clean, tested, and approved. Powering athletes for over 25 years. They also power the KOTL podcast. You could trust PVL. Use code KOTL15 for partnership pricing at PVL.com. Six-pack lap it at, and we got freshly crowned 120 champion Tristan Nasalrod off of a, a battle that uh, probably, Arian, would you say the battle of the PA Nets? Mm, I mean, it depends if people like, you know, the two people battling it out or if they like to see a little bit more depth. Um, so it depends, but it's definitely one of the, one of the major ones, you know, is Chelsea versus Claire. Mm-hmm. Um, then the 66s, you had Rodrigo, Jonathan, and Brian. Then you had, you know, 120s, you had Tristan, Lugo, Mike. 83s. Uh, what's that? 83s as well. Yeah, 47, 47s as well. You had two people there. But this one came down to the, like, the very end, um, and there was a backstory. There were some backstories, the return of Mike T <laughs> and the rematch. Now, you had waited patiently, Tristan, a year for this rematch. Yes. A year in the making. And is it true, <laughs> last year when Lugo won, is it true that you met him on the sidelines, congratulated him? Because for anyone who's listening, you had the winning pull up to your knees last year. And we're pulling for the win. And you met him on the sideline, congratulated him, but said, we're going to sort this out next year. Someone along those lines. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, uh, I gave it a ride and right off the platform. First thing I was like, hey, congratulations, because he earned it every bit of it last year. And um, I never want to take that away from somebody. And then immediately, I don't even know who said it first, but we were both like, I'll see you next year, you know, and that's a, a great dynamic to have is two people kind of pushing each other to be better. And it motivated me, motivated me for the entire year. Certainly. Did you watch him when he lifted at the world championships in South Africa? I did. And I rooted for him, you know, it was crushing to watch him have that winning deadlift in his hands and just miss it down there. Um, and to be quite frank, I'm kind of like that with a lot of my competitors. I will root for you 100%, um, until it's time to go to battle against each other. And then the fun begins. Well, I mean, if he, if, if your competitors, for instance, win the world championship, it is only better for you to be like, who have you ever gone against this world champion, that world champion? I mean, (laughs) Lugo got a silver medal. It's not like he, you know, did poorly at the worlds, even if he didn't get that. Oh, certainly. So yeah. So it's, it's still cool, but also watching it, you are kind of like, damn, I came close to being there myself. (laughs) I had that up to my knees. Yeah. And I, it's one of those things. So I'm a big fan of watching powerlifting. Like, for years, I've watched the world championships. Um, I'll watch every single weight class, even, you oh, know, wow. the lightweights, women. Um, and I'll watch them over again. Like, I still go back and watch, like, 2014 world championships and 2015. Oh, shit. You were all fun. in. You're that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am that guy. <laughs> but last year was, like, a bizarre year because I felt like I was so close and I had never gotten to to that point before 
where I was almost there and I was the next up in the alternate list to like get the call. So to not, to not make it was like, I don't want to say crushing. It was just like, oh man. So the only session I watched from last year's world championships was, were the one twenties. Oh, that was kind of different for me. Is it, was it like, well, too heartbreaking. It's kind of like checking in on an ex-girlfriend on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I exactly. I hope you're doing well, but I don't want to see it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hope Team yeah. USA does well, but I can't. I can't do it. It's too soon. <laughs> too soon. You yep. should go back now. You should double back now and watch the most sessions. You missed <laughs> you missed some good ones. Uh, now I might. Think, yep. Yeah. <laughs> now that you're doing well, everything's different. But I can respect that. You, okay. You actually, though, you've been to Worlds. You've, for people listening, mm -hmm. you've been competing since 2014. Um, Multiple-time mm -hmm. USAPL Junior Champion, been to Junior Worlds, medaled at the Junior World Championships. We're talking Belarus in 2017. We're talking Canada mm -hmm. 2018. Um, you were in Sweden 2019. So you have won USAPL titles, medaled at IPF Worlds, and you've been around, my friend, uh, deep in the game. Yeah, I've been very fortunate to uh, to get to travel all of those places and be successful at what I've done so far. And really, that's as much what I love about powerlifting. I one, it gives me an escape, you know, every day to go into the gym, as I feel so many of us look for as yeah. lifters. And then two, the chance to go to all these places, like for example. Austin, Texas, even, you know, for nationals, I was someone coming out of high school. Uh, my first powerlifting competition, I was a senior, I was 17 years old. And I had never been to a state other than Maryland, Pennsylvania, or West Virginia, like those three surrounding areas near me. So to go into a sport that allowed for so much travel, you know, it's been, uh, Definitely a fun ride so far. And meeting people and, you know, it's, uh, it, it, you've seen the game change so much since 2000, 2014. From the live streams to, I mean, that predates King of the List. That predates me commentating at Worlds. Um, that predates what powerlifting looked like in social media, period. Let alone predating, you know, the USAPL, IPS split, all the rest of it. Like you have seen a lot and you're only 26. But you have seen yeah. a lot change since you got involved in 2014. Yeah, certainly. And it's been quite a ride to see it all change. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm one of those, when in doubt, I just uh, keep my head down. Like, wherever they're going to send me to lift, I'll lift whatever weight class it might be. And I just go do what I can and handle my own variables when in doubt. I want to get into some of your past, but let's talk about PA Nets first. Let's not bury the lead. Um, then we'll get into how you found powerlifting and Bill, et cetera, and, and some of these other stories. But um, coming into this, I remember after you won and we all went for dinner and you were telling a story about uh, before every competition, you watch a Mike T video. What, what <laughs> video was this? I, did, I, I was on the other side of the table. Yeah. I couldn't fully hear it. Yeah, so it's... um. The I believe it was 2014 World Championships, where it was in South Africa, I believe, and he was battling with Mohamed Wafia, 
for the 120. Uh, it might have been the 125 kilogram class. I can't remember if they had changed it at that point, but um, those two were neck and neck. And as I was getting into powerlifting, I've always been someone who uh, my thought process at anything that I do is let's find someone who does it really well and kind of try and take as many lessons from them as possible. And as coming out of high school, I was in that 120 kilogram range of body weight and I happened upon Mike T. So he happened to be that lifter and I got really fortunate because of all the lifters to start off um, trying to shape my prowess around, you know, he's a good one <laughs> and he carries himself very well. So I remember watching that 2014 video and essentially there's at the end of the meet, he's in this battle with Boafia. Uh, Boafia comes out and he kind of made a big deal about the, the bar being crooked on the platform, like for deadlifts. And he asked the spotters to move it. And he's, I don't know, just making an event out of it. And then he pulls it. Mike comes out for his last deadlift. And it's like this massive number, like 390 that he has to go for. And uh, the spotters come in to try and straighten the bar. And he just like, he's like, no, I got it, guys. And he straightens it up himself. And he goes on and he misses that deadlift. But for whatever reason, that moment where is like, I'll take care of business. You know, he was going to handle everything within his control. He was not going to complain to the spotters or anything. You know, I was like, that's how I want to be. Right. I want to carry myself like that. I don't want to fight uh, till the end on the platform. So I kind of started a ritual from that to where every nationals and big meet. So like if I went to worlds, I would watch that meet from start to finish, Holy like all the squats, benches, deadlifts, um, like to the point I could probably tell you all the numbers um, that they did. Shit. Yeah. And it just like got me in the zone of like, this is how a meet is done. Um, and the great irony. So the first meet that I, I haven't watched that video was this nationals because I was like, all right, we're going up against Mike. Yeah, dude. <laughs> you know, so. This, this reminds me a story of, um, it's crazy. Mike T you're going against Mike T for the national title. And you're about, you're like, okay, I'm not watching this video. It's funny. It reminds me a story about this one guy. Um, so in the seventies, George Foreman was fighting and was super scary. And this guy was growing up in the seventies. In the 80s, this dude was in high school. In the 90s, this dude's boxing. And he became like, I think he was the uh, Canadian national champion. And when he was boxing, because um, he grew up and George Foreman was like the Mike Tyson of the 70s, right? So when he grew up, everybody was afraid of George Foreman. So when he started boxing to alleviate nervousness before he get in the ring, he's like, well, it could be worse. It could be George Foreman war warming up in the other dressing room. You know, it could always be worse. It could be George Foreman mm -hmm. warming up in the other dressing room that I'm about to fight. It would actually alleviate nerves. And then in the fucking 90s, George Foreman makes a comeback in his 40s. And um, and he fuck <laughs> this guy ends up fighting George Foreman on, on one of his comeback fights. And before the fight happens, the guy goes, well, this is as bad as it gets. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, um, it's kind of like yours where you're like, it alleviates a little nervousness, a little whatever, like Mike T. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be Mike T, whatever. But then before this one, you're like, holy shit, I'm about to show down with Mike T. <laughs> yeah. He's come back. Mike, Mike T came back, just like Foreman came back, and here we are. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, when you found out, first off, leading into this, was was what were your emotions like driven in terms of redemption, revenge, both, and then Mike T being entering and everything Mike T means to you, obviously. What were your emotions there? Where it becomes like your idols become your rivals, and you, you, you look up to them, but you you and you respect them, but you don't want to, but you also you gotta go to battle. You know, what was it like coming into this one? Yeah, that's exactly right. Not I, I have been I was as dialed in for this competition as I have ever been. Um, you know, in the past, I'm someone, probably my biggest struggle in training is my diet because I, I like to eat. You're a big man. So what tends to happen, yeah, my body weight will drift up on me and then I have to keep that in check with this meat. It was, you know, months out that I was dialed in. I I had all of my meals, you know, I would eat. It was just chicken and uh, burritos, basically, that I would prep for myself. Nothing exciting. But because I knew what was coming up, that didn't matter. (laughs) I was like, you know, I'm going to eat boring. And um, that's just a small example of like, I was feeling dialed in and there was no lack of motivation from that. Um, and we had plenty of adversity for sure with this meet as far as like little injuries and, and problems, but it was nice to go take care of business. And, and were you like, was the motivation here a redemption story? Was it um, a level of revenge on Lugo on a sporting level? And, uh, and when you found out Mike T was jumping in, you know, the, literally the guy that you, you watch, you watch his video every time. That's gotta be some impactful, like, (laughs) what were your thoughts there? Certainly. I mean, so in my mind, I, I know I'm capable and I also know like any of my competitors on the day, like Enrique, if he had his day, he wins. Mike, if he has his day, he wins. And I I think to some people, Mike was a little bit of a dark horse and Mm. not thought about um, where to me, Mike was just as formidable of a lifter. You know, I'm respecting them both equally. Now, as far as motivation goes, you're exactly right. Um, Last year, I felt like I had the win in my hands and it just got away from me. Um, even though it was a bit of a hell Mary pull, but that's literally um, and figuratively you had the win in your hands and it just got away from you. Like literally and figuratively. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like I, I have the silver medal that was hanging in this closet. So this is like, you know, I've got my clothes hanging in there every day for the gym, the silver medals hanging down to stare me in the face. I was like, not again. Um, And then on top of it, you had that extra motivation of Mike. And um, I would say 
if you're a lifter coming up through, and maybe this is just me, but you can get a little bit of an, an imposter syndrome. Like, you know, I started off as a young kid. I watched Mike. I watched, you know, all of these great lifters. Ray was coming up through at the same time with his great run. Um, and then I found myself like looking around and being like, wait a second, I'm lifting with all of these people. And you get that feeling of like, do I belong? Am I actually good enough to be with these lifters? And I feel like um, this nationals was where I could solidify myself as a, right. I can be beat Mike T. I can, you know, kind of put these demons losing to Enrique behind me and like, heck yeah, I belong there. You know, is that, where's that silver medal now? That silver medal still hanging up. Oh, it's still hanging up there. Yeah. I think about it. Yeah. So, and so funny enough, I came off at this nationals and just like last year, Enrique was the first to congratulate me. You know, we hugged and we were like, See you next year. Uh, so the thought process is, to me, it's one and one. You know, he got me once. I got him once. Now's not the time to let up and get and get comfortable. So with Worlds and the Carpinos and Sheffield, all of that, I don't know how that's going to shake out. Uh, I hope I get my, my chance in Malta, but if I don't, uh, that's on me. I didn't earn it outright. Uh, but all that I know is guaranteed is come this time next year, Enrique will be ready. Mike will be ready. So I better be ready too. Yeah. For you coming into this, were you looking more to win this or were you looking at like the Carpino and did you think the Carpino was in reach? And um, your thoughts on this, if you don't end up going to Worlds, because everything it meant to battle it out with Enrique, to battle it out with mm -hmm. Mike T and to exercise those demons of that silver, is it still a sweet moment where you're like, look at man, worlds is worlds is nice, but it doesn't diminish what happened there on the platform in that battle. Yeah. Yeah. So I will start by answering your last question there. Um, no, to me, that moment is like the greatest moment. Uh, in my powerlifting career so far. And that can't be taken away from me, whether Worlds happens or not. Um, coming into the meet, and this is something like, I told my my father about this actually yesterday uh, for the first time, and I was like, I had no idea this was going on. But essentially six, no, it was eight days out, my last squatting and deadlifting session, um, I had this freak rib injury. Like I've been having an issue where I would get the bar stuck in the rack, um, like not a clean walkout. And uh, it was a warm up. It was maybe 280 kilograms ish. And it got stuck and it just felt like someone punched me in the rib. Like mm. not great. Um, <laughs> so I was supposed to take 315 kilograms, 695, because I lift with pound plates in my gym, um, for my last squat single. 
I couldn't do it. I called it at 6.40, my last warm-up, because in the hole, I could not brace against that rib, whatever the problem was. I texted Bill, who's my coach, Bill McCarthy, and uh, he was just, I was like, hey, I have this weird thing. It's like an oblique or something. It's really sore, and I feel like I can't brace into my belt, so I called squats. I was supposed to deadlift that day as well. I pulled my first warm-up at 140 kilograms, about 305, something like that, and it hurt like I pulled it and I just dropped the bar and I left. Damn, I was is, like, I, that is not going to be enough to win, sir. This is not encouraging. No. Yeah. And up until then I had had the strongest prep of my life. Like in, in my head, we were going to win. We were going to hit the Carpino. Um, and like, that's just how it was going to be that day, eight days out. I was like pulling 300 pounds with pain and I called it and it was like just the most strange spot to be in because I didn't really know what it was. Like if it was a bruised rib or like some sort of oblique issue. Um, but all I knew was in eight days, we're going to be on the platform no matter what. And all I could do was just rest because like, I'm not going to be squatting or deadlifting before game day again. So it was like the strangest eight days because I had to just put it out of my mind. Like I knew there was a chance that, Hey, I cut this weight. I make weight on game day. And with how Enrique and Mike are, I knew I was basically going to have to bench enough not to lose because Enrique has a huge bench and it was going to have to be my squat and deadlift that carry me on game day. And all of a sudden I was not entirely sure if I was going to be able to squat or deadlift significantly at all. So it was just the strangest week. Like the only two people who knew were Bill and my girlfriend, Natalie. Um, and I'm sure she knew that I was nervous because I was just <laughs> frustrated. Um, so I didn't even tell my parents. And my dad was like, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, well, if I, I spoke it into existence, <laughs> then it's a real thing. I was just pretending that the injury wasn't, uh, wasn't a factor. And ultimately, we put enough ibuprofen in my system and enough adrenaline that it wasn't a huge factor. Um, actually, the biggest time it actually reared its head was with squats. I stood up my second squat, and it was 340, I believe, was my second. Um, and I, like, stumbled. I guess I wasn't completely under the bar, so it was a little behind me. And I, it just, like, shifted on the rib. So like I stumbled out of the rack and in my head, I'm like, just get the bar to settle and like, we'll be okay. And watching it back, that second squat moved well, but walking off of the platform, Bill asked me what I thought I had left. I said like, 
uh, seven to ten, and he put in seven and a half kilo jump to three forty seven and a half, and he told me in the back he was like, "You have at least ten for sure," but because you told me seven, that's what we went went with. And watching that third squat, it was like I had room, but it was all because I was in my head over like, ah, is this thing going to hold up? So that's kind of the drama leading in that we had to deal with. The thing is like, you know, maybe two and a half more kilos, maybe if you made a 10 kilo jump, it would have reared its head. Like you never know. Look at all's well that ends. Right. You know what I mean? For those two and a half kilos, sometimes you got to play it somewhat safe. Now, are you, when you're watching or sorry, when you're competing, were you paying attention to Lugo and Mike T's lifts? Um, so I wasn't watching their lifts on the, on the screen and I'm, I'm one of those people I'm like constantly pacing it in my head and like talking to myself, (laughs) all kind of crazy stuff. You can ask Arian. I mean, he's handled me before. I'm a little bit of a psychopath, Um, but I was at least aware of the numbers they were hitting. Like I knew after squats, okay, we established a good lead. I knew, especially I made a mistake on the bench. You know, I missed my third bench, which, you know, at national championships, you cannot miss. Um, So I knew in my head, I was like, I need to make up with this with good deadlifting. Like there's no way I miss a deadlift and I win. So um, other than that, Bill runs all of the actual numbers. And, you know, I tell him to put on the bar what we need at a given time. And he does a great job with that. Arian, where were you when this was in this battle? Were you in the back warm up room? Were you watching in the in the crowd? Uh, I was in the back because we had the uh, 84 and 84 plus at the same time. So I had Aliza in the, in the other flight. So I watched some of the lifts. Like when the question was actually asked is, yeah, Tristan's second attempt squat moved well and they had taken a 15 kilo jump. So I was surprised they went from 15 kilos down to seven and a half. And then, yeah, the third attempt looked good. So I thought as well, like 10 to 12 probably would have been there. But yeah, I guess it was a rib issue. And like you said, Ryan, you might be able to go 10 or 12 thinking, oh, it's moving fast. And then that's what causes the tweak. And then it messes you up for deadlift and you actually lose more on deadlift. So mm-hmm. it's good that they got, you know, as much as they could out of the squat, leave a little bit in the tank. Um, and then I think I missed Tristan's uh, benches. So I didn't see that one. But then obviously I was watching the delft at the end, watching the placing or anything like that. The um, So with Lugo's squat, Lugo came in and um, he, like we all heard, he had a, a tough cut. He had a tough cut. Okay, uh, so yeah. this is with, with you big boys, like you guys are big boys, but to make 120, you're even bigger than 120. Like you guys are thick, thick. When <laughs> when I, people don't don't necessarily see you in real life and get a good appreciation, with, like Mike T is like a gorilla. Like he's massive. Yeah. Like people don't, I, I posted a picture of, you know, me, Lane Norton, Bryce, and Mike T. And it was like, holy shit, Mike T is thick. I'm like, oh yeah, no, the 120s are big boys. Um. So, so anyways, I saw Lugo and after the second squat, it looked like he was at the line on squat two and he would go to the back warm up room. And I forget who was commentating with me. I think it was Lane Norton. Actually, Yeah, I think it was Lane. It was yeah. Lane. And um, we were like, I don't know how much more he has. 
And Lugo would fire himself up. He's a very emotional lifter. Like he can get up on emotion when his body starts failing him. He'll use an inner drive. He comes out and he hits yeah. his third better than his second. And I'm like, oh shit. Then on the bench press, exact same situation. Me and me and Lane are like, don't know if he's got a lot of room to spare on that bench. And to your point, he needs a big bench to, to gather some kilos because like Lugo's got mm-hmm. a massive bench fires himself up and comes out for that third bench and nails that third bench. Now at this point, leading into the battle, I'm, I'm setting the table a little bit. Cause this, this deadlifts and, and Arian, it might lean on you a little bit for the storytelling as well with, with deads. But at this point leading into the deadlifts and the deadlift event is as dramatic as it gets with shifting. And this is the beautiful thing about powerlifting when you have a three-way battle, but those two gentlemen are six for six and Lugal seems inspired. And you miss you on your squat. Thought you left a little few kilos on the table and on the bench definitely did because you missed your third bench. So coming into this, are you like, what are you thinking? Are you like, do you know they went six for six and you're kind of like, gosh, I'm not, how are you feeling? How are you feeling? Yeah. So, um, I, Coming in fully expected both of them to go nine for nine, or at least lead into the last deadlift with all eight attempts and then have to try something. Um, And honestly, that's how I expected all three of us to have to be for a battle. Now, um, in high school, I played baseball. And, you know, if you've ever played baseball or you're familiar with people who have played baseball, you get out the majority of the time that you're up at bat and you're going to strike out. But if three times out of 10, you get on base, that's a good uh, baseball career right there. Right Now, when I was in high school for baseball, I would always teach myself. I just like talk to myself, say short memory, short memory. So something went bad. Short memory, you forget about it. That's one thing that I've brought to powerlifting. So with the bench, whenever I missed the bench, one, I knew as I was very close. Like it was a borderline. Like I thought I was going to grind it out. And it just didn't happen. I give myself like 30 seconds to be angry about it. Like I just walk off. I tell Bill, I'm like, I'm all right. Nothing's hurt. Um, and then I go put my shoes on to deadlift. And my rule is by the time my shoes are on to deadlift, I've forgotten about bench and squat. Um, so I can't dwell on, hey, did I miss a lift? Did I leave some kilos on the board for squat? Those have happened already. Um, what I have to start to do is just say, hey, if I make all three deadlifts, I win, right? And I knew it was going to be that way. Um, if I make all three, Bill's going to put the number on to, to win. We'll walk out of here with what we need. I can't be thinking about the momentum that the other guys have or how they're feeling. Uh, um, all I know is I'm going to end up with a number in my hands at the end of the day. And if I do my job, then that's all that matters. I mean, it's, it's the perfect way to look you. You're essentially focusing on what you can control and not focusing on mm-hmm. what you can't. Um, 
it's, it can be easier said than done, I'm sure, but it, it helps. It helps to have confidence in who's handling you like Bill. If you think oh, yeah. you have to keep an eye on what's happening, you can't afford to put the blinders on like that. But if you have a guy like Bill, you know, he's going to play the game. He's paying attention. He's going to load exactly what you need. Not a, nothing more. Get to that in a minute. With the Lugo overturn and the whole like that kind of got, oh yeah, that was that was kind of sticky. Um, Irian, so <laughs> I mean, it was weird because even as commentary, we missed. So for anyone listening, what we're talking about here, and Irian, did you see this as is happening or 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 no? Because you were in the back handling as well. Uh, I mean, yeah, I was I was in the back, but I was done at that point, so I was standing there next to uh, Bill watching the lifts and everything like that. Okay. Are you kind of involved a little bit, like discussing with Bill what's going on? We were discussing a little bit, just like looking at the numbers um, as far as, um, you know, what the lot numbers were and, and what Bill was going to do. And then like when we saw the, the actual lifts and stuff like that, that kind of stuff. Because when the deadlifts got underway, so Tristan has a bigger deadlift than Lugo, but Mike T has has a, a minor bigger deadlift on this day. Anyways, we're talking two and a half kilos. But so... Lugo hits his first. Everyone hits their first deadlifts. Uh, Mike T opens up a 325, Tristan 320, and then Lugo 307.5. So obviously Lugo goes first. Lugo hits his second deadlift 327.5, Tristan 340, Mike T 342.5. So Mike T is maintaining getting last. And here's Mike T handled by the Garys, extremely smart. Uh, Mike himself a legend in the game, but the Gary's legendary handlers as well. Um, and to a level of, ex- to an extent, this is a little bit of revenge as well against the Gary's. Cause last time Matt came out of the crowd, handled Lugo to a win over you. And it's like, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, Lugo needed help. You don't want to get into battle by yourself and you know how much it helps to have a good handler, but it, now you're battling the Gary's all over again. It's Susie, but you're battling, but you know, Matt helped lay out the plan for Mike T here we go, man. This is a rematch, not only against Lugo, but also against the Garys. And they're very, very good top-end handlers. They're positioning themselves at this point in the deadlifts after the second round where Mike is maintaining pulling last. Gone eight for eight. Lugo is eight for eight and in a position to pull for that top position, like to try to push you as far as he thinks he can push you. And um, and, and Bill's putting in the numbers, as you said, you should have the proper number you need to pull for the win. Now, here's where things get really mm-hmm. interesting. So Lugo loads up. He jumps from 327.5 to 347.5. And he goes first and he hits. And he ends up with a total. Um, Arian, just, correct me if I'm wrong. He ended up with uh, what Tristan had, 907.5, right? Because he was marginally... Mm-hmm. Was yep. he- yeah, Lugo was the heavier one. Lugo's heavier, and you had to match. That's why Bill put in the weight to match, and you win on body weight. Correct. Yeah. But what happened, and this is where even in the commentating, um, it caught us. So Lugo gets his final deadlift, and it appears as though he's nine for nine, and he's resting at a 907.5. And um you guys have him on body weight, so you know what you have to do. You have to load up to match 907.5 and win on body weight. But Susie Gary, seen is like, nah, and he got a red. 
one of well, he got a red, and it was a one of those borderline. Did he lock it out? Did he not? Starts coming out of his hands. He got the down command. Did he get it just in time? And Susie Gary, who's handling Mike T, knows exactly what she's got to do. She's positioned Mike to get Ray to a possible nine for nine day and snag a medal. So she approaches the jury and protests. Um, now Lugo's final deadlift gets overturned. However, Bill had already put in the deadlift. For you to hit 907.5 in the comments. So you come out to hit a, let me take it. I think it's 352.5 kilos. Let me take Tristan it. did 350. Or 350, 350 sorry. That's, yeah, that's Mike T who had 352.5. That's right. So you come up to 350 and you hit that and your total is now 907.5. Now, we didn't know until moments later that you actually didn't need that, which is, holy shit, man, if you would have. <laughs> So here's where things get really interesting. Um, and on the commentary, I didn't see the protest happening, right? There's no like, uh, I'm I'm watching the platform as it's unfolding. And then when Mike T comes out and he's pulling and it looks like he's going to go from third to a silver medal position on that pole. And I'm thinking, hang on a second, Lugo should be at 907.5 and this should come down to body weight. I'm like, this can't be right. Yeah. And then I didn't even know that the protest happened because I just saw you pull to get the 907.5. So I'm a little confused. This is all happening in real time live as we're commentating. And I looked at producer Pete and he's like, no, no, no. And then I look on the scoreboard and I'm like, oh, that got overturned somewhere in there. And this is where things would have been. Had you had pulled that and you didn't need it to win and you didn't need it to win. You didn't know that though. If you miss, yeah. if you missed <laughs> that would have been perfect timing for Mike T. The, oh, Mike T would have been like, Mike T and the Garys would have been like, oh my God, we're about to win the national title. It would have been crazy. Um, obviously, that's not the way it unfolded, but holy smokes, man. Did, were you even aware of all of this commotion happening? Obviously, you're not the team that put in the protest. So how much of this did you even know was happening? Yeah, so I did not know he was moving at all in race pole. And I will say, I think I got a little bit fortunate with how everything went down because I'm one of those lifters. I, I love to see my competition hit a lift and then me be up next. And it's almost like, um, you know, a hit in a football game. You know, they just delivered a big hit. It's like, all right, now it's my turn to come back and, you know, do what I do. So having it appear that I needed that last deadlift for the win against Enrique, right? Not that I needed more motivation, but it just brought the, the level of importance of that lift up in my mind. You know, whereas... I could only imagine it would be a little bit of a letdown if I watched him and then someone said like, ah, oh, you might have it. And then for some reason I missed that deadlift and I was aware, like I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but I had known after bench and squat that Mike needed out deadlift me by 22 and a half kilos. And I am also aware that, um, with a 350 pull, he would have had to pull 372 and a half 
which was the exact number that he missed at his competition he did over the fall. Can I say something? So, I, to I, me, I thought you were making sorry. him. Yeah. So, I was about to say, I thought you were about to say, and this would be a fucking movie if it was. I thought you were about to say that was the exact number he missed against Boafia in the video you watched over and over. I thought you were about to say that. It, I would have been like, that would have been insane. It would have been insane. I would have been like, stop, stop. But okay, sorry. That would have been a movie. If if you found that out, you would have got chills. Yeah. Like, I've seen this replay a million times. But anyway, sorry, go on. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I just I knew that that was a deadlift he had missed not long ago, just a couple months before. So there was a significance to hey. I know at least a few months ago, this wasn't in his capability, um, like his range. So let's make him try and do it again. And if he's stronger, then, hey, good for him. He earned it. Um, and I, I'm curious, had I missed my final pull and he has to go up another 10 kilos and pull 362 and a half, uh, does he try and do that for the win? Because apparently... Apparently, like he was saying, he had some back issues, which as a competitor, that wasn't in my mind at all, of course. But yeah, it would have been interesting. I, uh, yeah, I know it, it was it, all the scenarios were changing quickly as soon as that, that one deadlift got overturned and then you loaded up like you did thinking that you needed that much. Um, it's, it, it leveled out perfectly. The Garys did a great job. Susie did a great job in terms of positioning Mike as good as she could have. Now, after you pulled and you solidify 907.5, now this is probably, this is going to be out of reach. And Mike decided, I'm going to swap bronze for silver. Did you see that? And were you able to, because you just won, are you are you watching this? Or are you too much into celebration mode? And you're like, look, at I just clinched that title and I've slayed some demons. Oh, so so what was funny, I uh so I like celebrated, gave Bill a hug, shook the judges' hands, went back. In my head, I do not have it won yet, because it was such a for sure thing in my mind that they were gonna load it up for Mike. So I went back and started to watch his last lift on the screen, and I'm counting the the reds. And I knew 372 and a half would have been, you know, six reds, a blue, and change. And I didn't see the blue on there. And I was like, what's he doing? He's, <laughs> he's not pulling us. Um, and then I had a, a sigh of relief because I was like, wait a second. <laughs> We've actually done it. Did you, yeah. did, you, did you know that? Lugo's deadlift had been protested and overturned at this point. Cause that's kind of, it makes sense. Like if you didn't know that his protest, uh, that the protest happened, you would think Lugo's 907.5. You would think you're 907.5. So you would absolutely, right. you would absolutely think my T's pulling for 907.5, right? You would, but yeah. And I can't remember when, when I heard that it was overturned. It might have been as I was standing there, because I remember Enrique saying, ah, he's pulling 
to take my spot. And it might have dawned on me then, like, oh, there must have been some sort of shakeup as far as that went. And what, what were your feelings when you saw Mike T get that and celebrate on the platform? Because I remember thinking, like, it's Mike T. You know, Mike T coming back like that and his celebration, he allowed himself that double fist pump where he's like, yes. And you could tell by the look yeah. on his face. He was like, he said afterwards, I've never been happier to get a silver medal. He was like, he was yeah. like, I needed this. Oh, yeah. It was, I was very happy for him. You know, he came off, shook his hand right away, and he said that exact same thing. It's like, I've never been so happy for silver in my life. Um, so it was good to see him come back and, you know, push us honestly till the very end. So. Yeah, it was his inclusion in this battle was needed just to give it all the different dynamics that it had. There's some, look, look, I love a good head to head, but if you have somebody who's in third and they're not too far back, like Mike T was, he was in third. He's coming in as the third man in. Um, but he wasn't too far back. If he can go nine for nine and he's got a good handler with Susie, we all know Matt, but Susie is absolutely legendary when it comes to handling um, on par with Matt, oh, to yeah. tell you the truth. And if Susie has the difference in handling people who don't understand handling, when you have somebody like Susie Gary handling you, if there's any opening at all and Lugo left an opening, they're going to fucking exploit it. And they're going to put you in a position. And anybody who doesn't understand how important handling is needed to watch that session and how impactful For it was. Sure. How impactful it was that Susie Gary was in Mike's corner and, and got him to nine for nine and protested when you needed to protest to open the door for your lifter. And if it happened, if that would have been you, she would have protested on you and we could have been having a conversation about Mike being the champ. You know what I mean? Like it could have been, Yeah, that's why handle, yes, handling is important. Some people don't get it, you know? Um, and when you look across the room and you're like, who do they got handling for them? If it's a buddy or if it's somebody that's a great programming coach, but not handling coach, it's a lot better for you, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I think this is, this is also a good time to kind of, um, you know, give Enrique a shout out as well, because um, I also had history with him where my first national championships in 2015 in, it was Atlanta, Georgia. It was the collegiate nationals. Um, literally it was just my dad and I who went down to compete and collegiate at the time was an equipped meet. So, um, you can use all the help you can get as an equipped lifter, but it was just me and my dad and my, um, I love my dad. He's awesome. And he's a great motivator, but both of us at the time had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> um, and at that meet, Enrique happened to be there and he took me under his wing and he helped me call numbers and handled me. He wrapped knees um, at that very first meet. And I do think that he was part of the reason that I continued into powerlifting. So that was another dynamic that goes with, you know, Dude. his and Mike's influence on me. The storylines in this fucking space <laughs> that go into this battle. 
<laughs> this is like shades of like Anakin Skywalker and fucking. <laughs> 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 what did Rico's like? Rico's like, I, I helped him out. I got him strong. I got him a little too strong. <laughs> okay, I feel like my son rolls up against me, and and he ended up turning on me. Or something. <laughs> he's 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 like he's like if I could change one thing, I'd go back and I wouldn't help that kid. I'd, I'd t- say play football. Right. You're a big guy. Stick to baseball. Yeah. But, um, no, I mean that's crazy that it was him. It was Lugo all these years and all these years later. Now you guys are battling it out year after year at PA Nats. How freaking cool right the story, all of it, and Mike T as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't have worked out anymore, you know, storybook-esque. Yeah. No kidding. Um, so how did you end up even finding powerlifting? Yeah. So, um, I guess it all kind of started with football here. Um, my dad got me into the gym early as probably like in seventh grade, I think I was around 13 years old. Um, I started going into the gym with the high school football players and he was like, basically, this is where you put your time in for a payoff during the football season. And uh, honestly, that is where I learned the idea of delayed gratification is this whole idea of I'm going to lift for all this time and hopefully I would get a payoff during football season. and you know, hopefully during football season, years down the line. So I kept doing that. I was lifting and I was always pretty strong. You know, I wouldn't say I was any sort of phenom or anything, but, you know, I was a strong lifter and I enjoyed it. So roll around to my senior year of football. And like I said, I play baseball too. I like went through the football season and I was a decent football player. I I would by no means say that I was like very good, but I was talking to coaches, a couple like D1, D2 football coaches or D2, D3, sorry, um, football coaches. And I had this question in my mind where I thought about what I was doing in the gym and all of these years, I thought I was lifting weights for football. And it turned out whenever I sat down and thought about it, I was playing football to be able to lift weights. Like, that's how I felt. I just enjoyed the gym that much. Um, so after the football season was over, I stumbled upon this powerlifting competition. Is a USAPL meet in... Columbia, Maryland, which was a few hours away from me. And my parents were like, hey, you should sign up and like, see what happens. And I'm one of those people, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it very well. So I obsessed over like all of the rules for months and months. I was like, I need to make sure my depth is good and I'm following all of the commands. So I went down and I, by no means, was I even very good? I think I placed like fifth at the meet. I totaled 600 kilos, like 1322 at a, I think I was 107 kilo body weight, like 237, something along those lines. Um, but I went nine for nine and I loved it. 
I was like, I want to do this. <laughs> so from there, I, I went to the football coaches I was talking to. There was one in particular I remember. And he, I was like, hey, I think I'm going to pursue this powerlifting thing. I think I could be pretty good, which in hindsight, I had no reason to think I could be pretty good. <laughs> but um, he told me, he said, you're going to regret this decision for the rest of your life. Holy shit. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something inspirational. Like, when you paused, I was like, this will be good. This could be a good soundbite. Let's see. Let's see. This could be a good inspirational quote. <laughs> You're going to regret uh, for the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's still something that I hold on to to this day. Whenever I like find myself struggling for motivation in the gym, I think back to that moment and part of my purpose is to prove him wrong. And I can certainly say I don't regret that decision <laughs> at this point. Uh, why do you think he said that? What, what was it? Why was it so harsh? That seems a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the only way that I can think about it, and I just have to put myself in his shoes at the moment. Um, I think he was probably someone could be because he had been a professional football player and then he retired. I think he wasn't, uh, you know, a big name professional football player, but he was on a team. And I mean, heck, that's some high level stuff right there. Yeah. I think he probably had some sort of injury to where he was forced out of football and he started coaching. And from his perspective, I'm sure he felt like he would do anything to continue playing football. And then he's sitting in front of this 17-year-old kid who's making a decision not to play football anymore. Mm. And I, to me, and that's all speculation, I just think he was like, how could you do this? You're going to regret this forever. Because that's how he would have felt had he done what I had done. That's a very mature look, the way you looked at it. And that's, that's, it actually makes sense and is a lot softer now. He wasn't coming from a place of, he was coming from like, listen to me, son, I have so many regrets and I don't want you to feel the way I feel. And that actually makes sense now. It wasn't coming from exactly. a place of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I think you're probably right. That he that he was just trying to he's trying to help you avoid th these regrets that he might be hanging on to himself that's haunting him, but uh, he didn't yeah. know he didn't know your story was going to end up like this, right? And who would have? I mean, had we played, you know, the odds game, I don't think I would have put my money on me actually ending up where I am today with powerlifting from yeah. that perspective. How did you find Bill McCarthy as a coach? Yeah. So I will say Bill has been probably the best thing to happen to me in my powerlifting journey. Um, you know, I would not be where I am today without Bill McCarthy. Um, and he happened to find me, I think it was in 2015, the Maryland state championship meet uh, that they held down here. And at that point, 
I had just done my first raw nationals and I won the like team three nationals for one twenties and I had qualified for the Arnold. So I had just gotten signed up for my first Arnold competition. And, and I guess he saw me at this local meet and he said, Hey, I heard you got the Arnold coming up. Um, do you have anyone who handles you? And at that point, like I had said, it had just been my father and a couple guys that I had met from Frostburg State, which is the college I went to, um, who were helping me out. I was like, no, I've never had a handler. He's like, for a big meet, you should have one. <laughs> it's like, sounds great. <laughs> so uh, he handled me at the Arnold in 2016, that March. And then from there, I was like, this is a game changer because he knew what he was doing. Warmups were so easy with the handler. And then he handled me for the 2016 Raw Nationals, my first junior Nationals. And after that meet, I said, hey, do you do programming? And he said, yes. And Kind of the rest is history. He started writing my programs and he's been my coach ever since. Because you guys, uh, you have a phenomenal picture of you and him head to head. Like, it, it <laughs> yeah. is, you know, a picture I'm talking about. That's all I had to say. Oh, I know exactly. Yeah. It's one of the best powerlifting pictures I've seen. It is so intense in that moment. <laughs> But it's one of my favorite pictures I've ever seen. It's a phenomenal picture, dude. It um it almost epitomizes your relationship. And Bill is like uh he's he's older, so he's he's I don't want to say he's like a father figure, but when an older guy comes uh, in, oh no, he is okay. Yeah. There, I, I just didn't want to use those words. I'm glad you did, but um that kind of happens naturally. And you know, it uh if anyone who knows Bill, he is like how's the best way to describe his personality? There is right. And there is wrong. You know, it's, it's black and white. He makes decisions. Mm -hmm. He's opinionated. He's strongly opinionated on it. Um, but also he will see things through and you have a certain level of confidence if he's going to lead the charge and make decisions. So it's easy to relinquish the reins like that to him, to an older guy father figure type who can make decisions like that, black and white, right and wrong, whether it's more just the conviction that he'll, he'll bring to the table with it. And he is extremely prepped. Like when we did commentary, he was the only co-commentator that came in who fucking did scouting, had everybody's <laughs> previous PRs, had all the records. He had everything down, um, written on a paper. And he was like by far the most prepped and ready. Like it's a, uh, but he's that guy. You know, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. Even even when we're discussing, it, like even even like I'll get into debates with Bill about like uh, he's like no, this is what this is what he was thinking, and this is why he did that. And I'm like I'm like you think that's what he was thinking? You think that's why he did that? He goes no, that's what he was thinking, and that's and I'm like Bill, you don't know for sure. I might be right, you might be right. And he's like no, nah. <laughs> like it, it's but the thing is like. It's just part of his personality. And when you want to relinquish reins, though, it's like leadership qualities where it's like you feel more comfortable sometimes when someone's like, no, I got this. 
And you have to it, it handling. You got 60 seconds. I know you got a plan going in, obviously, but sometimes you got to pivot in 60 seconds and it's got to be bang, bang, boom. We're going. And um, yeah. And you know, sorry, go ahead. Cause I was going to ask you your, how you see bill and your relationship with bill. And I was actually, I got Bill's name in the name game. We'll play a name game after this area. And I shot you on Facebook and say <laughs> some of the names, by the way, but um, maybe I think Bill needs to be more than just a name game. Maybe we dive in a little more on your relationship with him. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess I'll kind of start this way. And Arian knows this better than anybody because, you know, uh, Arian has handled me at a couple big meets, um, more than a couple. Honestly, and, you know, Arian, you do a fantastic job. I am just as comfortable with you to have my back um, as anyone else. You know, you and Bill are my two guys as far as handling goes. But you also know I, like, my tendency is to be a bit of a control freak. You know, like, I'm like, what's my next warm-up? When am I taking my next warm-up? I'm pacing around like um, I kind of want to know everything um, so that I'm as prepared as possible. And Bill's personality that you just described where he's like, you know, we're doing this, sit down, you know, three minutes, you know, he's very direct. And I think that puts me, especially earlier on, in my lifting career, it put me at ease because I was like, okay, I don't have to be worrying about so many things at once. I know he's got it taken care of. So um, that is probably the number one quality. And then the second thing is we have worked together for so long that um, we are on the same wavelength almost every time. Like, walking off of the the platform or even it starts with prep for the meet we are always within two and a half kilos of expected attempts for all of the lifts and um walking off of the platform it's as easy as me saying oh it felt pretty good or that was okay you know he knows what i mean whenever i say those things and if we're always within those two and a half kilos of what we think I'm capable of, then I can just trust him to put whatever he thinks should be on the bar on the bar, because I know that that's the number that I would have thought of myself. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, it's when it comes to, like leadership qualities like that, it does put you at ease when somebody is willing to take charge and speaks like, like some people can fake bravado and confidence. Like I got this. Don't worry. Sit back. But Bill knows all of the rules. All it's like, this is like Arian too. Whenever, like how many times on the podcast, I'll lean on Arian for interpretation of rules, the latest of the rules and whatever. When these guys for real know things through and through like that, it's different when they speak confidently, when they're like, sit back, you got five minutes. I need you to chill sit there and they kind of take charge yeah. like that. It reminds me, there's a scene in this movie, a thin red line. It's a war movie. Now this is exaggerated uh, because it's a war movie mm -hmm. we're talking about, but there are these soldiers and um, a leader hadn't stepped up, stepped up yet. And Nick Nolte comes into the foxhole 
And some guys are kind of testing whether or not he's going to be the leader or not. Nick Nolte's. So they're kind of like debating, no, we should do this. No, we should do that. No. And Nick's like, we're going to do this way. So then they do it Nick's way and everything works out. And the one kid comes up to Nick and he's like, Fuck. like after the battle, he's like, you were right, man. You were right. And Nick looks to him and goes, son, for now on, you don't have to tell me I'm right. We'll assume it. <laughs> yeah, we'll assume it. I'll say you do. And we assume I'm picking right. And that was like, and this is an exaggeration, obviously, but when in battle, you need somebody to take over and speak like that, to be like, just assume what I'm saying is right, because we don't have time to debate where it's. And uh, again, I get it. It's not a fucking war. It's not battle, but in powerlifting, you got 60 seconds. If you have to do an audible and things are moving fast, the whole nine, it does alleviate stress when someone walks in there and takes control and is like, I got this. So the same guy that'll drive me crazy in a podcast or commentary, we're debating. And he's like, no, I'm right. This is it. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's the same guy you need in that foxhole when the war's on. And it's like, um, I got this. And you're like, yes, you do. You are the guy. You know, it's it's a uh, it's interesting, and not everybody has to take that approach. But I could see where a young man like yourself, if you're younger, he's older, and it's like, okay, this actually, if you're a control freak, and it's difficult for you to leave, like to give up control, you will feel more comfortable with this guy taking over and be like, okay, I'm good. I need you to be a strong leader, though, because I'll press if I don't think you. Want yeah, right. <laughs> I'll press. Control freaks will press if they don't think you're a strong leader. <laughs> Uh, it's it's an interesting dynamic, man. That's why the, your pictures and all that with you guys head to head and the whole nine um, sports has got some amazing relationships that form in sports stories with it. For sure. Yeah. And it's just to put it in perspective, I've been working with Bill since I was 19 years old. Like <laughs> I was still a teenager whenever we started and I'm still I would say young into my career at 26, but the difference between 19 and 26, that's a lot of development, you know, and for him to kind of take me under his wing has made a huge difference. Isn't it funny that sports does that for us? Like sports, um, oftentimes will introduce people in your lives that become like a, a second father figure or whatever. In a third and fourth, like things just happen in your life. Isn't it crazy though that sports yeah. that sports introduce people in your life and you had no idea something like this would happen and how much you grow from it and learn from it, etc. Yeah, no doubt. It's um that's why I love reading about athletes when they talk about their training and coaches and um and sometimes in other sports, when if it's team. You'll have guys like Michael Jordan who, or, or I don't know about Jordan, but some guys will actually go head to head and bump heads with their coach because it's not like powerlifting mm -hmm. where you chose your coach, your coach got the job and they might not even get along in the dynamics and the power struggle that can happen. It's freaking crazy. It's tough, man. When you're choosing yeah. your coach, you got to choose wisely. Some people won't like the abrasiveness that Bill would have. Some people will. Some people won't like the too nice of like a Jason Trombley would be the opposite. Jason Trombley is very nice, mm -hmm. polite, a very sweet kid, extremely smart, though, just as smart at all of this as Bill, um, Arian, and Matt. And Arian's even different than Bill, different than Jason. You find what you think you need. There's, they'll all bring the know-how, but it, you find what you need on the game day that makes you most comfortable. 
you know, and it's, uh, if for, it's won't be the same for everybody. Yeah, that's a hundred percent true. And there is a confidence of knowing that you have someone that you trust in your corner. Whatever it is, it's that though. It, whatever you need in terms of personality to take charge or not, or be more power, more, not so much take charge, more cheerleading. Some people need that or whatever, but whatever it is, the grassroots of it needs to be built on confidence. You need to know your shit. You need to know all the rules, all my opposition, and you need to have studied my video. I just need to know that after that, if you're the guy who puts air in my tires and pumps me up, or you're the guy who takes charge or whatever I need <laughs> like that. Cause, cause some people do, some people need the guy who's going to be like, let me talk to you. Let me talk, pulls you aside, puts his finger in your chest. And is like, you know what this is like, you know, it's something yep. won't or, or that's too much. You know what I mean? Like um, whatever you need that way, you're going to have to find. And you only get that through talking to people and figuring things out. But no matter what, you need somebody who fucking knows what they're doing in terms of handling. And I think that's more rare than people think. I think more often people are programming coaches who end up handling just to handle and they're, oh, they're decent. They're good handling, but there's a difference between them and Arian, Matt, Bill, you know, Susie, you know, that level, Rory. There's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference. That's exactly right. I mean, and a great example is just, uh, knowing how to read kilos. I mean, on game day, it helps so much to, to know the kilo increments rather than, you know, having to think in your head, oh, what's a 705 squat? Oh, it's 320, you know? Or, you know, what's 766 again? Oh, it's 347 and a half. Um, Bill and Arian and all of those top coaches that you just listed, um, no. Right. And it's a game changer. It, not only that, they know like, uh, they know that they know lot numbers. They know all the rules around lot numbers and what that, how that might, they know the body weights of all the opposition. So they're not going to load the bar with more they need. They just have to tie you. If it's to tie on body weight, they know if the lot number, so they're pulling before, or after, if you got the same deadlift loaded or it, it, they know, what the records are. So that if the chips are in play and how much do they have to go up by two and a half increment or can they go up one kilo, one and a half kilos or and start picking and not leaving chips behind. So that if they get a chip, a 0.5, you have to go up a full two and a half. You can't just tie them anymore. And they are not right chips behind. They're not, you know, I mean, everyone can make mistakes. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm sure at some point, one of these fellas has left the chip behind over a decade of, tr- of coaching at the international level. I'm sure. <laughs> but, but, more often than not, they don't, you know, more often than not, they won't, you know, Matt Gary, the legendary has said that I've made mistakes. My friend, Matt Gary will raise his hand. He's been on the podcast. I mean, like I've done this, I've done that. Everyone makes mistakes, but more often than not, they're not going to make these mistakes. That's why it's so pivotal. Um, and it can literally, you can win and lose based off of that real quick. Uh, your session was clear on that that mike t got second because handling really paid off nine for nine a protested call opened the door for this to even be a possibility i mean it's uh yeah and and bill guiding you to to the win and getting the most out of you and not just sticking to the plan even though sometimes you have to do audibles you know reading it and being like right the the, him saying the fact you said seven i was going to put 10 the fact you even said seven we're going seven you know, I've had guys, right. um, yeah. I remember one time 
I think it was Jeff Butt was handling me, and he's a phenomenal, he's Team Canada coach. He's also a legendary mm-hmm. battle coach. And he pressed me. He wanted me to say, I remember he wanted me to say the number, but I had to buy in. And I was like, um, he goes, he, no, he said, I want to move you up 10 kilos. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think I only, I think I only got five in me. He goes, I want to move you up 10. What do you think? It? I go, how about seven and a half? And we closed his book and he goes, then seven and a half, you better get. And then I was like, <laughs> and then afterwards he said, I was always going to move you up seven and a half. I needed you to buy in. <laughs> I needed you to buy in. I needed you to, I needed you to say it. I need to have that moment. And I need you to say it because you had to go up heavy to do what you had to do. And, um, the way he fucking did it. And I was like, God damn, you got me to say, cause he knew I was, I was lacking confidence and you could see it on my face. He goes, this kid's not going to fucking go. And, uh, so he made me, he said, I'm going to go big. So a, you'll think, Oh my God, you think I have 10 in me? You, I must, I must've moved that faster than I thought. And it makes me feel maybe I'm better doing better than I thought. And then he needed to go to negotiation and then the settling on the number he always wanted in the first place. And I was like, God damn. Yeah, that was smart. I was, like, God. I was like, Jeff. And he's like, I got to do what I got to do sometimes. And I need you to buy in though. It can't be me telling you. And I was like, fuck. And this is this is a guy who's been doing it from the 90s. That's Jeff Butt. That's Team Canada coach. Yeah. Like he's got Maria T to a world title. He's the guy when Maria missed her second deadlift. He talked her into the third deadlift and won the world title. He's he's the one who helped guide Jess to multiple world titles. Like, like he's been in battles, right? Eric Willis, you know, whatever he's been around. Yep. Um, so yeah, handling dude, not just knowing the numbers, but knowing something's going on here and I need my guy to come around, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, but, uh, so we have, we play something called the name game, sir, where we drop some names and, um, okay. and you give us your thoughts on the names, you could do a one-word answer, two-word answer, or some people end up telling a story or something. So it's okay. There really isn't a right or wrong way of doing it. But initially, you can be as quick as, like, for instance, um, Taylor Atwood. And you go, the go. Taylor Atwood. Oh, beautiful hair. Russell Orhe. <laughs> you know, Russell Orhe. Charismatic. You know what I mean? It could be one word or it could yeah. be... Or it could be like um, Russell Orhe and be like, change the game on how we view this. And you start getting into certain things. They change the social media game, start expanding. Okay. It could be whatever you want, but it can be as small as one word answers right off the hop. If you like. I've got you. Okay. All right. Um, Arian, do you get that list? I sent you playboy. Yeah, I got the list. Can I say something too, real quick? Matt Gary at the fucking barbecue. He said something because you know what I mean? Playboy. And he started laughing. He goes, you always say that on your podcast. You always, I use that term. And he's like, I wanted to use it. I was like, I, you were using it appropriately. But um, all right, sir, Arian, if you want to belt off some of these, I'll jump in afterwards maybe with a couple. Uh, Sure. I mean, we, we discussed a lot, but I guess we can start with the first one, Enrique Lugo. Uh, uh, inspirational. Um. Oh, we'll just keep going down your list, I guess, uh, Ryan. The second one is uh, Mohamed Bouafia. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> Ooh, ain't that right? Ain't yeah, that I, was, right. 
I was going to say part of uh, the whole thing with Mike T's runs for Worlds was that he competed against at least two people who ended up failing their drug tests. So, you know, he got second place behind a couple of guys. And Bluff, for anyone listening, Muhammad popped. That's why it's 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 tough because everyone likes Mike T and my man popped. And this is the reason why Mike T didn't win. But anyways. Mm. Uh, flipping it to the other side then, uh, Mike T. Uh-oh. <laughs> Mr. Consistent. Well said. Interesting. Um, I, I guess I'll try and think of uh, some other names as well, Ryan. I'm trying to think of some uh, some female lifters as well. One that you mentioned, and Tristan says he he watches, you know, worlds and watches other weight classes. Uh, Tristan, what do you think about Jessica Bittner? Oh yeah, I mean she is very strong and uh, certainly impressive. Maybe we'll just say we'll call her the queen of the deadlifts. Yeah. Nice. Um, like yeah. That win, we were just talking about in South Africa. Holy smokes, man. I don't know if you, I know you didn't watch a whole lot of those sessions, my brother. That session. The, <laughs> I need to go back and watch it. Huh? That session of the 76s and 93 is the best session I've ever, I've ever commentated on. Both of them were really, it, it was incredible. Um, if you're a powerlifting guy, double back. Now that, now that you feel better about it. Okay. Now that you feel yeah, now that I can breathe a sigh of relief. That's right. Now double back, (laughs) have a couple cocktails, and enjoy yourself. You're gonna love it. Sorry, you you go ahead. (laughs) Um, Matt Gary. Ooh. Um. He he was one of the biggest influences right off the bat for me um, at that first meet. I met him and Susie, um, and they came up and introduced themselves. I was that 17-year-old kid, and they were like, hey, hey, keep doing this. You could be pretty good at it. And, you know, as the 17-year-old, I was like, oh, thank you so much. Did not know who they were. Um, So they definitely had a big influence on me coming up through the sport. I know that was a long answer, but that's the first thing that I thought of. We get... There's no wrong answers. <laughs> Don't worry about that. And and have you um or did you train at their gym SSPT when it was in Maryland? Yeah, so Bill used to coach out of there. Um, it was probably because I teach in all the way western Maryland, like as far west as you can get. So I was still about three and a half hours from their gym, um, but whenever it would get close to big meat preps on Saturdays, I would drive down and train there at usually once or twice leading up to a meet. So yeah. And I, I miss that place. Dude. Um, the high school kids you teach, well, how do they feel about the fact that a, you're like a monster of a man who could shift, <laughs> who could shift crazy weight. Like they probably think that's cool as fuck. First off, when, if they ask you, like you could, you, you meet you, you could tell you lift. So they're going to ask you questions, whatever. And then like, do, oh, they, yes. do these high school kids watch you on live stream, see the weight you're shifting? And like, what do they think of this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Usually the first reaction is like, oh, the bodybuilding, uh, earth science teacher. And then. Um, I definitely always have a handful of kids who are like really into maybe lifting weights or something along those lines. And they'll, you know, get on the Instagram and 
stalk me a little bit and then uh so they'll know know what i'm doing and um that's honestly one of my favorite uh rewards that i get back is i try and show them like hey this is something that you could do if you are just willing to put the time in and the effort and it doesn't necessarily have to be um lifting weights it could be a sport or a job or something like that. Um, but that's also the reason I went the drug tested route. You know, I've never touched any sort of anabolic, which I have nothing against people who choose to, to take that route. But to me, I like to show my students, hopefully, hey, you can do this. And there's nothing that separates me from you as a person. So um, that dynamic is always really cool. And it, it makes me feel good whenever the students ask me about, you know, lifting weights or what I think they should do, you know, should they squat more or deadlift what I think about deadlifts? I'm like, yes, do all of that. Um, go have fun in the gym. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's some of your lessons probably turn into a friggin' powerlifting seminar. If they... <laughs> some oh, of the so physics. I'll, I'll throw this in there just for kicks, but uh, so I have a a lesson in physics where we're talking about torque um, and lever arms, and what we do is we go down to the gym and we uh, hex bar deadlift and then sumo deadlift and conventional deadlift, and you can measure the your spine as the lever arm and calculate how much torque is on your spine based on the angles of those three lifts and i always think that's fun and usually about half the students are like oh this makes sense why people say like lift with your legs not your back and then the other students are like why are we in the gym for, for <laughs> the other students are like i fucking knew this guy was gonna work in a barbell working <laughs> yeah. i i was waiting and here we are i do <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well done. Well Tristan done. Tristan comes back from uh, Austin in the first day of class. He's got like his gold medal on, and those kids are gonna be like, "Oh yeah. man, here we go. We're gonna go yeah, back to the gym." He's waiting for someone to ask him <laughs> yeah. about his medal. <laughs> <laughs> but it is what uh, it is. You got a couple more, Arian? I'll throw another lifter out there for you, Tristan. How about Bonica Brown? Oh, <laughs> Bonica, she's the nicest person in the world. Um, let alone all of her accomplishments and strength. I always uh, admire how lighthearted she can be while being so serious because I am someone in the back. You know, I, I mentioned this before. I'm locked in, talking to myself, pacing, crying sometimes. Who knows? <laughs> but she she is always having fun, and I admire that. I, I got one, actually. We already talked about him a lot, but I'm wondering if you could sum him up in one word. Now that's tough. Okay. Bill McCarthy. One word or two. Who? Yeah. Uh, the leader. There it is. Yep. There it is. I was going with son of a bitch, but that's fine. That's, that's we too many words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's three. 
you're like you're, you're, you go you go you go tristan tristan goes if you gave me three or four that's what i was going with so you know it's <laughs> right. probably better it's just two words but uh no perfect man um arian are you all good sir do you have any questions you want to throw in there no nah, i think we, we we covered a lot tristan um thank you for coming on whether wherever you end up, if it's IPF Worlds, the North American Championship, or whatever American team, because there's a couple different American teams you could end up on. Um, yeah. Obviously, we're going to be watching. We'll be, you know, keep us updated on and good luck on all this as well. Hopefully, Thank I see you. you in Malta. Hopefully, it's Malta. Um, if not, I won't be at North Americans or Pan Americans or whatever. Is that an option for you? Yeah. Yeah. So I think how it works out is. Um, I should be locked in for North Americans either way. So if I get my spot for Malta, I will probably do that one instead. And then if there's no Malta, then Cayman Islands it is, which yeah. I guess that's not too bad of a consolation prize. Dude, whenever you can make an American team represent your country in an international competition and it's in the Cayman Islands, no islands, no less. Um, yeah, you'll be <laughs> yeah. all right. It's a good consolation prize for sure, but I will for sure see you in PA Nats again. And, um, oh, sure you know, we'll talk in the DMS long before any of this though. We'll, we'll keep in touch, but my man, thank you for coming on much appreciated. And, uh, dude, congratulations. That was, that was a hell of a battle. Maybe the battle <laughs> of the weekend. Yeah. Thank you. And I just say, Thank you to you and Arian for, you know, everything you guys do for powerlifting. And I appreciate you asking me to come on and all of the support. So, you know, I'll see you guys at the next one. Yeah. And we'll, thanks we'll, for having we'll, me. Wherever it'll be. Um, so for everyone listening, please do subscribe. Please give us high ratings. Uh, whatever platform you're listening to us on, please do subscribe. And uh, until next time, six pack lap at six up and we are out.